You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. The customer tells you the what you work on, and the centralized analytics and EW teams um, are responsible for how we work on that to make sure that you know part of our enterprise data strategy, our data model, and all the other good technical things that we need to be responsible for. Welcome, everyone. I'm Wayne Eckerson, host of the Secrets of Data Analytics podcast, which surfaces the tips, tricks, and techniques of leading practitioners in the data analytics field. With me today is Shakib Akhtar, the Director of Enterprise Data Warehouse at Northwestern Medicine, one of the leading academic medical centers in the country. He is responsible for direction and oversight of data management, data engineering, and analytics. Shakib has over 15 years of experience leading project management teams to deliver key technology and business initiatives, including cloud migrations, population health analytics, and a modern data warehousing strategy. Welcome to the show, Shakib. Glad to be here. Thanks, Wayne. So today we'll be discussing data ops, a topic Shakib and I discussed at some length at a recent TDWI conference. So let me start, Shakib, by asking you, what does data ops mean to you? Sure, I think data ops to us is really taking a proven process and a discipline from DevOps and bringing that to um, producing data and analytics products. So for us, what that means is, you know, it's really, a, we look at it as a discipline that brings together all the different skill sets that are required on a data team to build the analytical products, tool sets, solutions that the enterprise needs. So for us, that's data engineering or typically known as data architecture, analytics resources, data science, and software development resources, and then providing all the tools, processes, and technologies required to support a data-driven enterprise. So we really look at data ops as a as a way to streamline the work that we do and provide value to our customers um, from an analytics perspective. So why did you feel the need to do data ops at Northwestern? What was the primary driver? Yeah, I think from, um, you know, we had, like I think a lot of other organizations, been through the process of um, trying to build an enterprise data warehousing and analytics strategy, but we're under the pressures of continuously receiving requests um, for additional extracts or reports that the enterprise needed, uh, and then really getting mired into the in you know down by the work of continuously new tickets that were very much the same as prior tickets or small tweaks to existing reports or extracts, um, which were really hurting us from going to an enterprise kind of data warehousing and analytics strategy. And so, what we really wanted to do is flip that model. Um, to look at different ways of delivering value um, to our customers. And data ops really allowed to bring uh, us uh, resources that were across various disparate teams. We have a separate analytics team and a separate CDW team. Bring those teams together and the unique skill sets across each of those teams and the, and the resources together and then dedicate them to a particular customer. Um, the challenge that we were running into is, you know, getting all of these requests, customers not really feeling like, you know, knowing where the requests are, team not being large enough to service all those requests, and things getting lost in the shuffle. So we really decided as we needed a uh, streamlined process to be able to focus on a customer with a particular product team that can contain the skill sets that were required to support that customer end to end, and really focus on 
um, providing value on the highest priority items that they had, um, which allowed us to, you know, show them quick wins uh, and work on their highest value items and then, you know, establish that trust and the uh, relationship with the customer that we're providing the, the type of analytical solutions that we need to be providing that, that actually impact the bottom line of their business rather than spending a lot of time doing report requests that may or may not be uh, value added for them. So you move to more of a customer centric process and you created and dedicated a team to each customer. And I assume that in that process, you got rid of those duplicate tickets. You, you kind of consolidated requirements and you saw a bigger picture. Is that true? Exactly. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, one of the things that really helped us do is if you were focused on a particular customer, we could then take those tickets, consolidate them, and then present them back to the customer along with, you know, all of the other things that were being asked to do for that particular line of business or service line in healthcare as you refer to it. And then, then ask them as the product owner to prioritize those things for us, um, which allowed us to you know, reduce the complexity, reduce or eliminate the time that was being spent um, on these other requests that really weren't important to our customers. So how does this work in practice? Uh, how do you set up that team? How often do they meet with the customer? You know, is it quarterly or are you doing sprints? Or how, how does this actually sure. work? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think what we first came up with is we really needed to make this customer-centric and the customer needed to be driving those priorities. So the way it looks for us is we have um, sprint planning sessions. So we've adopted Agile as our methodology to do this. Um, And we really focus on uh, gathering requirements from our customers on products that they need built. Uh, we sit with them, we understand the requirements, we document them, and then we follow a, a two-week sprint cycle in which we take all the requirements and the features that were given to us, we, we log them, we groom those requirements, and then we pick a couple of those features that can deliver every two weeks through our sprint cycles, and then we showcase them to the customer and then con- you know, conduct a retrospective after um, to, sh- to continuously show incremental progress to our customers. So, so it's an agile process. Um, now to set that up, uh, do you uh, meet uh, regularly with the customer to um, um, shuffle through those requirements or do you go off site? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So actually the system, um, NM uh, recently has adopted uh, what we call um, system collaboratives. And what we have clinical collaboratives and we have system function collaboratives. And what those are really geared to do is get the right people in the room um, from a system function perspective or a clinical perspective to help drive the priorities that that particular uh, function should be focusing on. So we meet with the customers monthly in that forum to go through any of the asks that they have of our teams. And then we take those asks back into our, you know, technology huddles, our sprint plans, et cetera, and then build the features out accordingly, according to the plan that we have agreed on with the customer. So that's where in those collaboratives, that's where the prioritization takes place. And then we take back that, that back and make a more granular plan out of that in an agile. So that's interesting. You've created a dedicated cross-functional team of sorts, and then 
the customer has as well, right? So they've had to bring the people together in their group or their department, and I don't know how big these departments are, um, that would have any bearing on the requirements. Is that true? Right. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, it's really a lot more communication, a lot more transparency, and working with the right folks on the business clinical sides and having a cross-functional product team that could meet all of their needs from an analytics perspective, working together to meet that customer. And the customers actually also working together, prioritizing that within just the line of business, but across lines of businesses um, to make sure that we're focusing on the right things. So what have been the primary benefits or upshots of this approach? Yeah, so I think I can take that back a little bit to kind of what our goals were as part of this and things that we're trying to solve. So, you know, one of the big things we wanted to solve was increased customer satisfaction with um, analytics in the UW across the enterprise. Um, and we have certainly seen that. We have certainly seen that uh, customers are much more satisfied because they know what we're working on. They have timelines on ETAs and what, when we would be able to deliver those things. And, um, you know, since we have adopted Agile, we have the sprint planning sessions, but we also have scrums. So if something came up from an operations perspective that, you know, deferred the team to another topic because of a production issue, we can immediately bake that into the base, uh, into the timeline and communicate that to the customer. So increased customer satisfaction is something we're definitely seeing and was one of our goals. Faster time to value when we're developing analytical solutions. Again, this is all incremental. So what we've removed is, you know, typically um, that very long kind of design of a data model, design of a report, design of, you know, ETL, that's uh, typically been required in the waterfall approach. And we're building the model as we're studying the data. And, and we're able to bring things to market much quicker. Um, so I think ultimate, uh, you know, ultimately what we're really seeing is increased collaboration and teamwork across the various um, teams that support analytics in the EDW and removing those silos and, fun and, and, uh, and the faster time to value to develop something and the increased customer satisfaction. So were people skeptical at the start, both on the IT side and the business side? Yes, I, I think this is still, you know, we, we've been functioning in this way kind of unofficially for, you know, uh, a few months and we've made this official very recently. Yes, I think both on the collaboratives as well as this whole agile framework and bringing data ops in, getting all these folks to work together uh, effectively and prioritize effectively. I think it's, you know, there's was definitely a lot of skepticism when we first started this process. I, I would, you know, honestly say there probably still is some. Um, but I think that the teams that are, you know, we have definitely seen highly functioning teams who are taking lessons from and trying to apply in other areas. And so, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that we learned from this is that communication and transparency are key. Um, and that the analytics teams and EW teams need the clinical and, and system function and our business partners as much as they need us. So we can't do this alone and we have to do, you know, we have to partner with each other very, very frequently to get the right product. Yeah, so a key tenant of uh, Agile is self-organizing teams. Uh, and I know from a lot of organizations, it's hard to implement this new approach. How did you do that successfully, as, as it sounds? Yeah, you know, I think what we did was one, we really took the time to figure out exactly what we wanted from this process. So, you know, what we're 
what does it mean to us? You know, what are our goals, which we covered? And then, you know, um, who are the right roles um, necessary to deliver on these analytical solutions? We really took some time to think about what the correct roles are and um, set up, you know, take a look at all of our customers across the enterprise and set up product teams and identify the areas that each of those product teams own from a customer perspective. And so once we had done that, then it was just a matter of making those teams very much empowering those teams to meet with the customer, prioritize those requests, and work on them as the customer said. So the, I think the principle that we went by is, you know, the customer tells you the what we what you work on, and the centralized analytics and EW teams um, are responsible for how we work on that to make sure that's you know part of our enterprise data strategy, our data model and all of the other good technical things that we need to be responsible for. Uh, but I think the real success is creating these product teams, empowering them uh, to speak with the customer, prioritizing based on what the customer is telling you, really listening to your customer, um, and then giving the team the appropriate tools to manage and deliver on the things that they need and making them uh, independent enough where they, where, they, where they can move quickly. Um, and that's really been the key to our success. Can you give an example of a team and the roles on it and who they serve? Sure. And, 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 and is each team the same, uh, with the same composition? Sure. Yeah. So um, some of the things, um, you know, as we went through this exercise in defining the roles, um, so we have um, an, an analytics consultant, which is somebody who's really responsible with managing the relationship with the customer, um, listening to the customer, getting those requirements, maybe even uh, creating a prototype um, extract um, that we can deliver quickly while we're, while we're working on building a kind of a more scalable solution. Um, we have a, originally had a data architect role, which was really focused on you know, enterprise data design, enterprise uh, database design, data modeling, ETL. And actually, looking at this model, we completely flipped how we thought about our team. So previously, we had a data architect role, we had an ETL developer role, which was just ETL development, and we had a, essentially, you can call it a report writer role. Um, and all of those were siloed responsibilities. And as we looked at this model, you know, we realized that we really don't need uh, siloed resources. We don't need a data architect to be siloed from somebody who can write a report. A data architect should be able to do both. And so what we did is we created new roles. We created, um, we still have the analytics consultant role who manages the relationship um, and the initial kind of prototyping and requirements. But then we also have a business intelligence architect role and a senior business intelligence architect role and a analytics manager who is responsible essentially acts as the product manager for that team. So, you know, the, and, and so, uh, when, with the BI architect role, what's really been successful is that person could span data architecture, database architecture, modeling, ETL, to you know writing reports. We use a SARS or Tableau, and then identifying the um, the uh, identifying and defining the analytics manager role and the senior BI architect role. So those are the two roles that really work hand in hand, where the analytics manager is responsible for that what the team is working on and the senior BI architect for that product team is responsible for, he's a technical, he or she is technical SME, 
um, for that team and is really managing any of the technical obstacles and giving the guidance to the data architects and the report developers. So having a technical SME that's equivalent to that manager and them working hand in hand has really helped us in redefining some of these previous roles that we had where we had a lot of siloed responsibility and bringing that together has really helped us. Was there some resistance uh, from your team members of having to, to do more than uh, their original role and be, you know, span capabilities? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I think uh, they were excited about that opportunity because once we brought that idea, it was a, uh, it was not something we had thought about differently. So br- bringing that model to them, they were actually excited about, oh, well, you know, if I'm an architect, I can now do, from an architecture perspective, they were excited about seeing the end product that the customer is getting and not having that silo. Um, I think on the on the other side of the house, you know, from a BI kind of developer, report developer perspective, you know, it's a scary transition from having to do that to also now being having, having to be responsible for the data architecture. Um, and so I think there's, we, we, we are doing, we still have to do a lot more kind of learning and training and walking the team through that. But, you know, we're putting in good kind of curriculums in place and using a buddy system where they can partner with a senior architect um, or more of our seasoned resources to help them guide through that and make it a soft transition versus a hard transition. Yeah, I really like that. You know, I've, I've found that when you have a sp- specialist in the development environment, <clears throat> there's a lot of waste in time and expertise. Right. And, and people actually become more motivated when they can work on, you know, more of the project and see the end result. Uh, so that's great. Um, so, you know, we're in the age of self-service and business is supposed to be able to do this stuff themselves. So how do you reconcile self-service with this development environment uh, and process that you've created? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. Actually, the reason that we um, set this up is because we wanted to move into self-service. So actually, our FY19 plans are to build self-service data marks across a large uh, portion uh, that can serve a large portion of the population of the health system. Um, and so, you know, we think about service lines like transplant, oncology, cardiology, value-based care, um, quality, um, finance, all of those we're looking at building self-service solutions. Um, we've kind of picked kind of a model of we'll have a data mart that can then have a, a tabular or a multi, multi-dimensional cube on top of it so people can slice and dice their data in Excel. Um, and so that is actually the whole reason why we went into the data ops model is because in order to build those self-service solutions, we really, really need to understand what the customers are looking for and make sure that the team understands that, that the data model supports that, and that the reports and the self-service, you know, that that the self-service architecture that we build because of this process is going to be much more robust because we understand those requirements and we build them accordingly. Um, And that kind of brings a full circle to what I started, which then reduces, you know, the amount of report requests that we get. Is really the purpose of these product teams and data ops is to get us all that self-service functionality built in the next, you know, uh, 12 to 18 months. And then we can really start working on, you know, kind of predictive prescriptive analytics components because the amount of maintenance that we have to do for reports or additional report requests declines considerably. So that is the, that, that's really the objective here. So self-service, <clears throat> excuse me, for you guys is 
<clears throat> giving users an interactive report or dashboard that they can find the answers, most of the answers that they need right there, instead of having yeah. to go out and find the data themselves and then mash it up and then visualize it. It's a form, yeah, not the exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, exactly. I think from our perspective, it's really, you know, be able to answer. What we'd really like to see to get to is you can answer 80% of your questions through these self-service tools. And then 20% are the more complex. Of course, you have to engage the team um, to, to create something net new, perhaps. But, you know, I think I think the goal is really to have about 80% of our questions answered through this. And I think that's that's very achievable. And the other thing that we were really excited about with this model and kind of, you know, self-service you know, where the, where the principles that we had around um, uh, reproducible results, that the data ops teams focused on developing solutions that produce reproducible results consistently. Um, and so having this architecture on the self-service data marts as well as cubes on top of it really allows us to persist all of that business logic in those data marts. Um, and so when our... Um, report writing resources or BI development resources are writing another dashboard of visualization, they're not having to rethink all the logic. And the logic is not different from report to report. It's already consistent and persisted in that data mark. That's great. So you're centralizing the logic, centralizing the data, <clears throat> making sure people get consistent results, but able to interact with the data and uh, converse with okay. it in a, in a self-service way. I've always said that most of the requirements for self-service would go away if we just had better interactive data marts built on, uh, I mean, data dashboards built on uh, very well-designed data marts. So yeah, obviously mm -hmm. uh, putting that into practice. Uh, so now with the little I've researched on data ops, it seems like there's a lot more to it uh, than just agile. There's um, <clears throat> orchestration, there's... Uh, you know, a testing first environment, there's uh, corporate repositories for check in, check out and version control. Are those part of your data ops process and system? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so when we looked at this, we really looked at this kind of, you know, holistically say, you know, it's not, it's not the process by which, which the teams function that, um, that is important in meeting with the customer, but also having a technical process for development and that life cycle be very, very well-defined and automated wherever possible to make this easier for us. So with this, actually, over the last year or so, we actually completely changed our um, uh, technology stack as well for, for, for this. Um, so we implemented Git as our repository, and so that's where we use for source control in our, in our repos. Um, so really a lot on the Atlassian stack. Of, of tools. We use Jira as our kind of project management tool. Um, so we do a lot of our, you know, stories, feature building, um, Kanban, uh, scrums are all ran through Jira. Uh, we use, um, and so also the other thing that we thought about when we were building this is we really wanted to get you know, DevOps, you know, and to think historically data teams have been a little loose in, uh, how they build things, um, you know, and you to take a look at some of the principles from DevOps, you know, having the segregation of duties, having a segregation of environments um, where you're building things. Uh, we really wanted to implement that um, with our data ops process. So we, we developed a DevOps process to support data ops, um, if that makes sense. So we really had, 
you know, a, a dev environment, a test environment, a pre-prod environment, and then our production environment. And so we use uh, tools like Team City to actually do the continuous build testing and integration across the environment. So I can build something in my uh, dev environment, and then Team City can you know automate that build, the testing, and integration across the board. Um, and then Octopus deployed deploys it, you know, into into the other environment. So that nice package and framework of things that we've been able to put together from a tool set perspective really enable our architects to build efficiently and effectively um, and you know preserve the integrity of the production environment so that people are not doing things in production that really should be done in dev test and we actually follow that deployment process. So you've obviously studied DevOps. Where do you think is the big difference between DevOps and data ops? What changes? You know, I think the the difference is really actually. Yeah, you know, when we first started developing this process, we actually got a lot of a lot of resistance uh, because folks felt like, and this is actually the real feedback we got, that this process that we're building should be built for app software application development and not for data. Um, and so, I think data ops in that context is just still a very new kind of terminology, at least in practice. I think the theory has been there for a while. But, you know, the, the amount of controls that we put in place felt very burdensome to folks because we were coming kind of from the wild, wild west where everybody could do whatever they want. But if you really look at, you know, the two processes, they're very, very similar. I think that there is a lot of concern because developers in the database world haven't really been uh, accustomed to that level of control that it feels like it's 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 very uh, it's it's a lot of overhead that slows us down and that's the initial reaction we got. I think the difference is that that people think that database changes and SQL code changes are not things that should be managed the same way as application development, but I really think that they're not very as different as they are similar. Um, I think it's just the perception that, that folks think that you can't manage it the same way, and we've definitely shown that you can. So it sounds like there was some resistance at first to managing your data practices this way. Yes. And how did you overcome that? Yeah, I think we just showed the value of, of how uh, effective and efficient the process is. Um, and, you know, it's it's... I think there's a perception that comes with it where it slows you down. But as you look to scale, so one of the things we said, you know, if we really want to scale and we want to, we have to protect our production environment. And if we're building, you know, 10, 12, 15 data marts at a time with 30 architects, then we really need to have a process that's streamlined across the board. So the way we combated that is, you know, one, show them the value of the process, uh, showed value where mistakes that would have been made were not made. Um, and saved us downtime, et cetera, um, and just showed the efficiency of the process, you know, that, that it really does work. It's very quick. It's very efficient. It's, an, it's, a, it's all automated. Um, and so, you know, even with our own data architects, we, want, we had to win them over to say, this is better. And I think all of them now say, I, I can't believe we lived without this process. Um, and and they, they actually love it because it, it provides them a framework with which they can deploy things without having concerns that they're doing something in production that they shouldn't be doing. So where do you go from here? You've made a lot of progress very quickly. Um, what are your sites set on now? Yeah, you know, I think our, our sites now are really um, 
as we integrate other teams and resources into this process, adopting it, you know, continuing to scale it out. Um, and our, our first site is set on completing the development of these self-service data marts, as well as dashboards and the KPIs associated with them. So people have that and we can democratize, democratize the data across the enterprise. Um, and once we've achieved that, yeah, I think we're, our next focus is really moving into, um, you know, predictive analytics and those types of things. I think from an enterprise data warehousing perspective, our focus is going to be uh, moving from relational to really supporting non-relational, you know, unstructured, semi-structured data sources, really starting to focus on some stream data um, as well as notes and parsing out notes um, and really using the cloud as part of our modernization plan to move ourselves not to just be SQL Server on-prem, but conduct some of those advanced analytics use cases, get unstructured data, and allow us to grow on the cloud um, because we think that's where the future is. And so some of our time this year is going to be spent on really migrating to Azure and doing some testing of our production platform there because we feel in the next two to three years we're going to be, we're going to be um, probably cloud first. That's great. It sounds like we should have you back uh, in a few months to talk about how to modernize your data environment. Sure. I'd be happy to help with that. I think we're still working through some of it, but uh, we'll have some very good lessons learned in the next few months. Great. Well, Shakib, it was uh, wonderful talking with you, and thank you for sharing your insights. Thanks for your time. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.